Amen. Well, friends, we have been in this sermon series called Pursuing Jesus. And uh, what we've been doing is basically taking each week to talk about what our pursuits are as a church. Uh, About a year ago, we went through these pursuits, these five different things that we want to define every single person who calls Flourishing Grace home, the things that we pursue and the things that make us more Christ-like, more like Jesus. And so today we get to hear from Pastor Benger about our pursuit of dependency. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18 as our text this morning. And so if you want to turn to Luke 18 in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible uh, in, uh, underneath the seat in front of you, there's a black Bible there. And you can turn to page, I think, 824, 824 in that Bible and to find Luke 18. So we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. I'll give you a second to flip there. And once you have found that, if you would, would you stand in honor and reverence of God's word, if you're able, as it is being read. Luke 18 says this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected him. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will, not, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thanks, John. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. Um, I'm glad to be here with you this morning again. My name is Benger. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace. I serve as the executive pastor. And as John said, uh, we've been walking through this series called Pursuing Jesus because um, the, the mission, what we've said, this is what we are all about here at Flourishing Grace, is leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. And, and kind of the shorthand for that is we want to we pursue Jesus above all other things. And so if you're new to Flourishing Grace, whether it's like this month or you came for Christmas and you're still here or you've been around for less than a year, this is a great time to be here because essentially this series is Flourishing Grace 101. Like what, what are we about? What is most important to us? And pursuing Jesus is most important to us. But there are five things that, that we, we read through Scripture, and, and as we spend time in prayer, and, and we introduce these last spring, there are five pursuits that we say these pursuits, as we pursue them, they help us pursue Jesus. Really, these aren't like things we came up with. These are gifts from God. Like as we, as we read through um, Scriptures and, and, and followers of Jesus in the New Testament, uh, what did they pursue as they pursued Jesus? What are the gifts God has given us to help us pursue Jesus? Okay, so week one, we talked about pursuits of the Word. We pursue as, as we read the Bible and, and we let it um, transform us and soak into us and we surrender ourselves to it. It helps us pursue Jesus. And we talked about the pursuit of four formation, that, that as God is working in our lives, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. 
And then last week, Josh Gardner, a minister to students, talked about pursuit of the kingdom. Right? This isn't just like, okay, it's us and Jesus, and, and, and that's pretty much it. Jesus is king. And, and what does it mean to be a part of his kingdom? What is he doing in this world? How is his kingdom spreading? How is his kingdom moving? And how has he called us to be a part of it? And today, today, we are talking about the pursuit of dependency. Now, that one's a little bit different. I'll talk about that in a minute, kind of what that means. But one thing we really, really need to have clear this morning as we move on. Um, We talked about this the first week, but when we say pursue Jesus, like I'm going to pursue Jesus, it's really important that we know that we can pursue Jesus because he pursued us first. This isn't something where we are straining and trying and trying to just work up enough faith and marking off the boxes and I go to church enough and I read my Bible enough and then maybe if I do all these things, then maybe as I pursue Jesus, he'll give me some attention and maybe he'll pursue me. No, that is, that is not the way it is at all. Jesus pursued us first. Jesus came to earth. He was born a baby. He grew up in this world. He he had a ministry and had followers for three years, and he died on the cross for you and me. He took your place and my place on the cross for the death that we deserve. We can't add anything to that. We don't get like, okay, Jesus is going to love me more if I do these things too. It's not like Jesus says, okay, I did these things, but if you do these things too, then maybe I'll love you more. No, that's not it at all. We can't add anything to it. Um, I've got a friend um, that, that we kind of have connections from Colorado where I'm from, and so we hang out every now and again, and when we have lunch, he's part of a club in Salt Lake City, and I'm not talking about like one of those clubs where they got a nice beat where it's like, do, do. No, it's not one of those at all. It's one of those clubs where I got to dig out the jacket from my closet, okay, in order just to go have lunch there, and you show up, and there's no prices on the menu because he's paid, I don't know how much money to be a part of this club, and he's like, oh, this is my treat, right? And, and, and so there's, there's no prices on there. I'm pretty sure when I get a burger, it's like $73. Um, it's amazing. I love, like, the service is incredible, like, awesome stuff. And what if at the end of that lunch, I said, man, that was all really good. And I kind of began to dig into my pocket and, and I said, okay, I've got, I got some change here. I've got a buck 17 I can contribute to this lunch. That'd be ridiculous, right? Jesus, when we stand before God and we deserve death for what we have done, for our sin and our brokenness, and Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to take his place. I'm going to take her place. I am going to take the penalty of death on myself so that person can live, so you can live. This is what Jesus has done for us. And so for us to think that we can get Jesus to love us more or accept us more is like digging into our pockets and saying, oh, thanks for that, Jesus. I've got, I've got some pocket. Can I, can I add to my salvation? Can I, can I? No, no, no. And here's why this is so important. If we don't understand that, then we don't understand that we are completely and totally dependent on God. This is why we talk about dependency as one of our pursuits. Now, I want to tell you where we're going today. Dependency, as we talk about it, um, what we imagine our vision here at Flourishing Grace for dependency is that it would be lived out in our lives, that we would live into this pursuit of dependency as we pursue Jesus through prayer, through what John just talked about, through times of fasting, through some of these spiritual disciplines that that where God shapes us, but, but it teaches us and it reminds us and it puts us in a position of dependency on who God is. And so the primary way we live out dependency is in a life of humble, dependent 
prayer on God, both individually and as a church family. But today, here's where I'm going. All of that is really, really good, but I've only got about a half an hour in order to get through all this. A year ago, as John said, we walked through all these things. We spent like four weeks on this idea of dependency. Josh Knight, our pastor of Preaching and Vision, walked through the Lord's Prayer and what this all means for us. You can go back and listen to that if you want. Today, here is my goal, that we would come to such an awareness of our dependency on God, that we would understand who we are in light of him, that we are completely dependent on him. I want us to come to that awareness today that we might live that out in our lives in a life of dependent prayer on him. So that's where we're going to go today. Um, We're going to get to the passage that that John read last. We're actually going to start in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Uh, it'll be up here on the screen, but you can flip there if you want to. And um, this, is, this is what Luke records in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, okay, so, so what this means is Jesus has just begun his ministry. Incredible things have been happening. Like he's been healing people, all these things. He's got followers. He's, he's a rabbi, and so he's called people to himself. So in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night... He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. And then he lists those apostles. Here's what I want to see. We're going to look at three things from the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And here's the first thing I want us to see. That Jesus embraced dependency which is crazy when you think about it because Jesus is God from eternity to eternity. Second person of the Trinity, he is 100% God. However, when he came to earth, Scripture tells us that he emptied himself of some of his divine rights and privileges, right? When he was born of a baby, he had to be fed. Like, you can just be like, man, I want, I want some of that over there. I'm going I'm to get this food. Can I? No, no, no. He was dependent. He, he emptied himself of some of his divine rights and privileges, Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. He says this, it may have actually been an ancient Christian hymn, like one of the earliest Christian hymns in the church. And he says this, though he, meaning Jesus, was in the form of God, Jesus was 100% God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Like, this is, this is incredible stuff. Like, there is a, there's a whole sermon series just right here. But what I want us to see from here is that Jesus emptied himself. And so, in his relationship with the Father, to pursue intimacy with God, to express his needs to God, he embraced that dependency, and he spends all night in prayer, all night in prayer, when he realized, man, I'm going to call these men as apostles. I need... I'm dependent on God for this. I'm dependent on my Father. Again, Jesus, 100% God, has become also 100% man, 100% human. He embraces his dependency. And he does this elsewhere. In Mark 1, 35 through 37, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. Like, they were like, Jesus, you don't, you don't need this. Right? Think about all the things you've been doing. You've been casting out demons. You've been healing people. You don't, you don't need to come away and, and spend this time in prayer in a desolate place. Like, you don't need this. Why are you doing it? They were puzzled. 
In uh, Luke 5, Luke says this. He says, but he, meaning Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus would be arrested and tried in a sham trial and, and, and nailed to a cross for you and for me, he spends the night in prayer asking even that God would take this cup from him if he is able. But he submits to him and says, not, not my will, but your will. Jesus embraces his dependency. And here's the question. If Jesus embraced his dependency, what makes you and me think that we don't need that, that we shouldn't embrace that dependency? If Jesus is spending all night in prayer, if Jesus, to pursue intimacy with his Father, withdraws to desolate places, what makes you and me think, now we don't need that? We don't need that. And again, prayer is good, but what I want you to do, I don't want you to just be like, okay, Benjamin, I got this, I'm going to get a prayer plan. No, I want you to sit in your dependency and realize that Jesus embraced that dependency. Second thing I want to talk about is uh, related to that, and it's this. No surprise, Jesus calls us to embrace our dependency. In Matthew um, chapter 18, uh, Matthew records this. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, here's what, you need to, here's what you need to know about this. Here's what you need to know about this. Jesus calls us to be dependent. Jesus calls us to embrace our dependency. And so what is, what is happening here? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Well, if you look back in chapter 17, if you look back in chapter 17, um, Matthew records some in, incredible events. But what you really see happening is that in this group of disciples, and then there's the 12, and then there's three, right? Peter, James, and John, they get to go up on a mountain and have this incredible experience called the transfiguration with Jesus, where they see Elijah, and they see Moses, and God calls to them out of the cloud. I mean, like, incredible stuff, but only Peter, James, and John got to experience it. And then later on in that chapter, um, it seems that Peter is becoming known as the leader of the group. Right? When there's this tax issue and the tax officials come to the group about the group not paying their taxes, who do they come to? They come to Peter. Like Peter seems to be the leader. And so what's happening, Like I love the honesty in here. Right? This is completely an aside. I'm going to try not to go over. But, but if you were just making this up, like if, if, you, were, if you were trying to, to write a, a story that would build up these disciples and we should trust them, you wouldn't put this in here. Because when somebody becomes known as the leaders, the other ones get annoyed and they get ticked off. This is how you and I are. I mean, this doesn't happen in your office. Doesn't happen on our soccer teams when that person's starting, and I say, of course. They come to Jesus and they're like, all right. So who is the greatest? Who's really in charge here? Give me the org chart so I know where I fit in that and how I can climb the ladder. But Jesus does something surprising. And he says, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is more dependent than a child? What is more dependent than a child? Right? You see, we have a problem with dependence in our culture. And I think this is a human thing, but let me just talk a little bit about our Western American culture here. We have a problem with dependence. We don't want to be dependent. We want to be independent. Right? When, when you're a parent... What you're doing is you're preparing your kids for independence. Think about it. To be known as a child 
is an insult. If you meet somebody in the parking lot on your way out and they're like, man, you're a child, you would be insulted. We don't want to pursue dependence. We want to be independent. And so this question that the disciples ask, okay, who's the greatest? How do I climb the ladder? How do I gain more independence? How can I, I don't want to be under these guys. I want to be in charge of them. Of course, Jesus, you get to be first because you're Jesus and all, right? But, but who's next? I want to be more independent. I don't want to be dependent. I want to know where I fit. And Jesus says, no, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In essence, what he's saying is this. To be a follower of Jesus in his kingdom is to be dependent on God like a child. I mean, I've got kids. My kids are dependent on me. We know what that's like. Jesus calls us to embrace our dependency. And then he says in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Not who gains more independence as we go on, but who becomes more dependent. I, I think we've, we've made a mistake sometimes. We, we assume that like, if somebody is spiritually mature, in some ways, man, they don't, they don't need all this basic stuff. They become more mature and they know more things. And it's almost like we've, we've um, kind of put our idea of independence and our idea of the org chart on spirituality and said, okay, as you become more spiritually mature, you climb the ladder and become no, more independent. No, no, no. Here's the picture of spiritual maturity. If you want to become more spiritually mature, Here's the picture of spiritual maturity. You become more dependent on God. You acknowledge your dependence on him. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And this is why we tend, I think, in our culture to forget about the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and the, the idea of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said when, when he was going, when he knew he was going to die on the cross and he was going to rise again from the dead and ascend to heaven, he told his followers, listen, I'm going to send you a helper. It was the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus knew we could not do it if we are not dependent completely on him. And so when we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are dependent on him to transform us, to illuminate the word, to know what to do, to even know how to pray. We are completely dependent on God, and Jesus calls us to embrace that dependency. Third thing is this. We are dependent on a good God. We are dependent on a good God. Now, this one's a little tough, because there are some of us in the room who have never tried dependency. Like, when I became a follower of Jesus when I was 19 years old, the hardest thing and the thing I'm going to have to learn again and again and again and again until Jesus calls me home or he comes back again is that I need to humble myself and become dependent on him because I love to be in control. I, I love to make the plans. I love to be the one to, to be in the action, right? I, I feel most at home when I can make things happen. And so for those of us, if you're in that boat with me, we need to learn to become more dependent. But there are some people in this room that you'd say, Benjamin, listen, I've actually tried dependence. Maybe it was kind of a different idea of God, and, and you worked into that system, and you said, I'm going to do the things, and, and if I do the thing, maybe God will, will, will come to me, and, and will do things for me, and then it all fell apart. You're like, I'm not doing that again. Or maybe you said, I've, I've tried that. I've spent the night in prayer. I've spent a month in prayer. I've spent years in prayer praying for my son, praying for my marriage, 
praying for healing for my spouse. And it didn't work. We need to be reminded that we can be dependent on a good God. Jesus, in Luke chapter 18, this is the text that was read for us, but I'm going I'm to read it again just because it's incredibly important. Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Friends, this is incredibly honest. We, we don't know if like, Jesus uh, told the, his followers later on, like, hey, that's why I told this parable, or if he was kind of setting it up this way, like, hey, you don't need to lose heart. But listen, why would you need to be told something that would help you not lose heart if the world around us, if our circumstance, didn't make us want to lose heart? In essence, Jesus knew what his followers would face, the people he was talking to right then, and he knew what we would face. Anybody here lose heart? Yeah, we are all in that boat in one time or another. This is incredibly honest. This isn't, man, just, just pray more and everything's going to be okay. It's going to be like, no, circumstances will exist around you that will make you want to lose heart. They will knock the breath out of you. It'll bring you to your knees. And that's why I'm telling you this. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither feared God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here's what I don't want us to get out of this, because Jesus says, I want you to pray always and not lose heart. This isn't about the mechanics of prayer. Okay, what do I need to do to get God to do what I want to do? Now, when, when he says to pray often, to, to always to pray and not lose heart, what, read dependence. Read continually coming to God for who he is, even though circumstances around us are difficult. Now, some parables, some stories, a parable is just a story that Jesus told to teach a lesson. Some of them are hard to figure out, like, what are you getting at in here? Some of them are easier, and this, one, this one's easy. It's weird, but it's easy, right? We know who the judge is, the unjust judge is. It's God. That's kind of weird. Why is God an unjust, jo- God, unjust judge? And we know who the widow is. It's you and me. And this is a how much more parable, meaning Jesus gives an example in this, in this kind of made-up story about imagine if there is an unjust judge, which for them, that'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Because to be a widow in their day and age was to be incredibly vulnerable, especially if you didn't have sons to help you out as well. It's just the world that they lived in. It was to be incredibly vulnerable. And clearly something had happened that, that somebody was taking advantage of her and she needed some help. And this unjust, unjust judge was her only hope. And he didn't care about what was happening. But because she kept bothering him, the judge is like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I just want you to leave me alone. This is a how much more parable. If the unjust judge will do this, how much more will a good God come to your aid? And here's the difficult thing, right? Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect, those, those who are his followers who he's chosen, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Let me tell you the people that he was talking to. He knew his, what his followers would face when he died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven. 
He knew that they would be persecuted. He knew of the 12 that he brought together, right? One would betray him, and of the other 11, only one would survive to old age. The rest would be killed for being followers of Jesus and telling others about Jesus. That's what he knew they would face. And so this story isn't told, like, if you just pray enough, if you just pray enough, like, don't pray 10 days. If you pray 20 days, then, then God's going to come through the way you want it to. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. Because it didn't happen for his followers. They were killed for trusting in him. They were doing exactly what he asked them to do, and they were killed. No, what that means is that ultimately God knows justice and he will not delay bringing us justice. To us, it feels like a delay. But to God who says, listen, I have a home for you. I have prepared a place for you, Jesus said to his followers. Because of what I've done for you, and because of what I will do on the cross, I came to earth to be with you, and I'm going to die for you on the cross. Because of those things, I will not delay long over you. Friends, if you're in this room, and this idea of dependency, and this idea of prayer is difficult, because you have spent that night in prayer, because you have spent that month in prayer, and God did not come through. Friends, we can still be dependent on a good God because we know the ending. And I know that doesn't make the now any easier. But what Jesus is saying here is that because God is a good God, we can continue to bother him. We ought to pray always, always to pray and not lose heart. What that means is to continue to be dependent on him and saying, I trust you. The world is falling around, down around, around me. Right? I got this diagnosis. I got this thing in my marriage. I got this thing going on with my friends. I, I don't know what to do. Like, like the, the ground under me is crumbling. And still we can be dependent on God because he is a good God. And I realize if you're in the thick of that, friends, those are just words. Those are just words. So do me a favor. Even if you're in that place and you're not sure you believe me, what God is saying here, what Jesus is telling us about our Father, is that God longs to be bothered by his children. God loves to be bothered by his children. When my kids are hurt, I want them to come crying to me. I don't want them to go somewhere else. I don't want them to hide it. I don't want them to say, I think I can tough it out. Listen, I want them to come to me, and this is what God wants of you. We can be dependent on a good God. Now, remember our goal for today. It was that we would come in this room to such an awareness of our dependency on God. We've come to such a place where we recognize it. We can't help but live it out in prayer. And, and we don't have a whole lot of time to say, man, this is how it works. Like, this is a lifetime of things. But I want to talk about three arenas really, really quickly about how this might play out in our lives, especially if you're like, I see this, I want it, I, you know, I, I haven't really been great about spending time in prayer, or I've never done it before. Listen, this is for you. All of us can learn from this, but, but I want to leave you with a starting point. So three arenas that, that might be starting points, okay? The first one is this, individual prayer. And, and I want you to hear me. I'm not just saying like, okay, pray more and try harder. No, this is about just simply setting aside time every day between you and God. That's, that's, that's all this is. 
It could be five minutes. If you've never done this before, friends, if you've never done this before, don't be like, okay, Benjamin said we need to do this. I'm going to spend two hours every morning in prayer. I'm going to get up at four. I'm not a morning person, but I got to be at work by seven, so I'm going to get up at four and do all these. No, it will fail. It will fail. Start with five minutes if you've never done this. Start with five minutes. And let me just give you a warning. If you're like, okay, this is going to be the most amazing five minutes in my entire life, God can do that, but it probably won't be. Um, There are three things in my life, three habits that I said I'm going to be committed to this year, and one of them is 30 minutes in silence and solitude every single day. And friends, over the course of two weeks, 30 minutes of those 30 minutes, 13 out of the 14 times are kind of like, okay, I did it. I think I learned something from the word. You know, I feel refreshed in prayer. That was really good. But, but most of the time, it's not just like this incredible thing. It is simply an act of dependency. Sometimes that's the most important part about prayer. It's not what actually happens. I mean, God hears you, even if you feel like he's not listening. He hears you. But it's our act of dependence on him. Second arena is this, and I realize this doesn't include everybody in this room, and for that reason, I almost left it out. Um, but, but I think it's really, really important. The second arena is family prayer. I, I realize not everybody here in this room is married or even may want a family one day, but if you do have a family, if you're married, if you're thinking about getting married, if you have kids, even if, even if you're in an untraditional kind of family situation or things haven't gone the way you want them to, this is one of the most important things that you can do is to spend time as a family in prayer. Now, let me, again, just like individual prayer, this isn't like, okay, I'm gonna gather all my kids around and we're gonna spend 45 minutes and it's just gonna be, like peaceful. It is not. All right. This has looked different in our family over the years. Right now, this is how it looks. We do this at dinner time because um, I've got elementary, junior high, senior high. They all leave at different times in the morning. And so we're actually around the table for dinner most, most days of the week. So we gather around the table and, and we're eating and we give our super duper, which if you don't know our family, that's your high of the week. We give our uber goober. If you don't know our family, that's your low of the week. Then we share a prayer request. All right. And sometimes this does not go well. We had friends over for dinner on Friday and it was chaotic. It was absolutely chaotic. At least one day a week, it ends with mom or dad yelling. Like, I don't, I mean, if you're looking at me and you're judging me, listen, your family's the same, okay? I, this is just real. But the idea isn't that it's going to go well every single time. It's just that I don't want my kids to grow up. I want my, what I want is I want my kids to grow up and think it's weird that they would ever go a day without their parents praying for them that they would ever go a day without knowing what's going on in their siblings' lives and say, this is what I want God to do in my life. Friends, this is the way it works in our family. It is five minutes maybe if it goes well. But it's something that we do every single day. This is how we express dependency. We teach our kids to be dependent on a good God. The last one is this. Prayer is a church family. Prayer is a church family. Now, this is a lot of times called corporate prayer, but I think that's kind of a dumb term, even though I know it's technically correct, because when, when people like me talk about corporate prayer, a lot of times what we mean is sitting in a room like this in rows where you're looking at me, and I have a microphone on, and I pray for all of us. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not prayer, that's not prayer as a church family. It's not prayer as a church family. Here's how it could look. All of us, uh, when we get coffee in the, in the hub over there and we're talking to people and somebody asks you, man, how was your week? Like most of the time you lie, right? Because most of the time, what do you say? Fine, good, right? Something like that. Listen, and then you write a prayer request about how like everything fell apart this week. I'm glad you wrote that prayer request, but let's stop lying, right? What if somebody came to you and you're sitting there just getting your coffee and you're like, man, how was your week? Well, actually, like it was terrible. Here's why, right? 
prayers of church families to say, listen, can I just stop right now and, and pray for you just really quick? It doesn't have to be a long thing. It doesn't have to be a big, awkward thing. Just 30 seconds. Let me pray for you. Prayer as a church family, if you're in a table group or you host a table group, is to really lean into that time of prayer. Again, it doesn't have to be this, this huge thing. It's just, let's just be honest and dependent on God about what is really going on in our lives. We don't have to talk about it. We're not going to give you a bunch of advice. I just want to know what's going on in your life so I can pray for you and we can pray with each other. It shouldn't be weird if you're having coffee or lunch with a friend from the church or they're over at your house for dinner. It shouldn't be weird to end that time and say, hey, can I just, can I just pray for you? Like, just really quickly? Like, that, that shouldn't be weird. This is how we express dependency on God as a church family. Um, in a moment, I'm going to give us an opportunity to practice some of this in two really important ways. Uh, the first way is this. Um, uh, before I finish, we're going to spend, I just want to prepare you, we're going to spend about two minutes, two minutes in silence. And what I want us to do is I just want you to focus on your dependency on God and, and, and time in prayer. And if you don't know where to begin or if you've never done this, just pray this simple prayer. God, would you help me see my dependency on you? Would you help me embrace my dependency on you? And I'm going to close that with prayer. And here's, here's what we do at the end of every gathering. At the end of every gathering, we have a team of people who come up front and they pray for people. And I love it because you guys have gotten used to this and you, it's something kind of new. We've been doing it maybe for about a year. Um, it's a beautiful thing and people come forward and ask for prayer. But, but here's what I know about us. There is something in us that resists coming forward for prayer because we are grasping onto our independence. First of all, nobody's watching you. Nobody's like keeping track, like, oh, you came up and they came. No, no, no. Nobody cares. Nobody's paying attention. But we think, man, if I stand up, what is that going to say about me? You know what's going to say about me? About you? It's going to say that you're dependent on God and you've got stuff going on in your life that you need God to do something, which means we're all in the same boat. And so when we have that time and we invite you guys to come forward, I invite you today, just if you've never done that, just come on. It doesn't have to be huge. It just has to be like, listen, I don't even know what to pray for, but I, I feel led to come forward. Awesome. Our team knows how to handle that. They love you. They love to listen, and they'd love to pray with you. So we're in about two minutes of silence. I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to invite our team to come forward, and we're going to finish with a time of prayer and one last song. Two minutes. A prayer of dependency on God.